Counseling Besetting Sin on this edition of Truth and Love. Johnson, and you're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors, where we seek to provide biblical solutions to the problems that people face. This week on the podcast, I have with me Dr. Lance Quinn. He's the vice president of the Expositors Seminary and on the pastoral team of Grace Emanuel Bible Church in Jupiter, Florida. He has been involved with biblical counseling movement for over 30 years, having served as a fellow and a board member of ACBC for 25 of those years. Lance and his late wife, Beth, have eight adult children and currently 15 grandchildren and counting. And uh, counting. All right. Bring these beautiful little babies on. Come on. That's really. Keep going. That's great. Grandfather would like to to hold those babies (laughs) and rock those babies. That is so cool. Lance, uh, thank you again for being with us on the podcast. Interesting topic that we're going to tackle today, this issue of besetting sin and and how we think about this. And, And this is could really be a, a paradigm shaping aid to us today as we, we talk through this. So, Lance, what do you say to a person who's seeking your counsel for a particular, as the scripture sort of describes this, a besetting sin? One that this person thinks they may never, ever get over and conquer. They just try to manage. I think that it's a term, besetting sin, that comes from the uh, older English translations of Hebrews chapter 12 which says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, I'm reading from the English Standard Version, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. As I said, besetting sin in some of the older translations. I think that's an accurate translation, but it could be confusing. It seems, I think, to some to sound as though It's a kind of sin that I will battle for the rest of my life, never being able to conquer it. And I don't think that's what it means. I don't think it means this is the kind of sin that will dog you all of your days, and you'll never have a full sanctification victory over it. I think what it's talking about is certain sins clinging closely to us. I like that. English translation better, because I do think that there are particular sins that are of greater challenge to certain believers, whatever those are. And because of that, you and I must work then harder to defeat those kinds of sins, to uh, use that language of Colossians, you know, 3, 5, to, to murder it, to slay it, to kill it, to mortify it. And it, it, it's true that there may be certain sins that you and I face, grapple with, to try to vanquish those sins takes maximum effort. Uh, What I mean by that would be, Dale, something like this, someone who says, well, I have, you know, a certain sin in my life and it's become such a pattern. It was a pattern in my my non-Christian days. It seems to have dogged me even, you know, through my current Christian experience and therefore it clings you know so closely to me and i get so discouraged about it and i tend to say to myself well okay perhaps i'll always be dealing with this i'll never vanquish it and so just start working on other sins that are more easily grappled with i don't think so i think it's really talking about 
yes, there could be things that you and I are perhaps more prone to. It could be the way we grew up. It could be certain habits, certain ways of thinking. These could contribute to the idea that certain sins, or perhaps even, you know, one sin is more of a challenge to this person than the other. Yeah, and I I think we see that experientially for all of us. There are certain things that maybe I'm not tempted about, Lance, that you might struggle with, and and vice versa. I think there are things that that you probably don't struggle with that that for me just seem maybe a little bit more difficult. I think some ta- some of that comes with temperament. I think the Puritans would talk about this in a way where they would distinguish uh, vice and virtue, and they would talk about it in, in such ways that you know a person that exhibits certain virtues will also have similar besetting or vices that they struggle with, but that's not always equal. And and sins often manifest themselves in different ways in different people. And I like the way you're going here, but I want to, let's, let's bring that to us a little bit closer because I'm sure our listeners are are thinking of particular things maybe in their own life. So so let's, let's talk about particular sins. It could be sexual sins, which are frequently mentioned in the scriptures as being, you know, more difficult and ingrained difficulties that we, we struggle with there. But talk about particular sins, which are of a kind that Christians seem most prone to, th- those types of sins. Uh, what are they, and how do we deal with those types of sins? Well, you mentioned sexual sin, for instance, so let's, let's go there first. I think what sometimes occurs as Christians struggle with certain uh, areas of their sexuality is because it is both a mind and body problem. In other words, it all starts in the mind. You know, James 1, you know, when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it always starts in the mind. But sometimes if it is a kind of sin that includes the activity of your body, now you have other things that are at work, including not just your emotions, uh, not just your drives and your motivations, but also there are certain things that are, you know, chemically firing in the body that are giving you the kinds of uh, physical sensations, let's call them, that can, with those two issues, mind-body, can seem overwhelming and unconquerable. Now, I believe there's something to that, of course. But the problem is, even if there's something to it, both in a spiritual-slash-mental and or physical way, and we could say, because we're talking about sexual sins, physical slash sexual, it's not as though, and you would know this, Dale, because we fight against this, you know, as ACBC counselors, people will say, well, you see, it's something that's ingrained in me. In fact, you'll even have those, and you'll even see certain Christian books on shelves that say these kinds of temptations and the acting on such temptations rewire the brain. Now, I have difficulty with that because it's almost making it sound as though this is a particular category that over time someone will never break with because their brain has been altered, rewired. Well, if that's true, then the boatload of New Testament passages that say mortify the flesh seem to be then impenetrable. You can't do it because it's in your body and it's the, the chemicals that are working in such a body. Well, what about Colossians 3.5? Mortify the flesh, kill it, put it to death. If there are certain categories of sins, and it doesn't have to be, you know, in the sexual realm, it could be anger. You know, the anger of the mind 
is so disruptive. And if it lives itself out as a pattern, there are certainly people who presume I can never not be angry. Now, they may not be as angry in the fullest sense all the time, but they'll almost give up and have a defeatist attitude as though there are certain sins in the world that God can't do anything about with me. And that, I think, is a temptation and a dart of the evil one that makes you think something is true when, in fact, it is a satanic lie and it is not true. And Scripture calls us to mortify the flesh, and therefore we must and we can then. Now, Lance, you mentioned Colossians 3, 5, put to death, Paul says, therefore what is earthly in you. And I want us to talk about that. As you mentioned, mind, body, what a really critical subject, especially for for where we are today. And when you talk about mind, I want to make sure everybody understands you're talking the, the inner man, the heart, and that the body is certainly influenced. And I think we have a tendency at times, I'm reading a book by a man named Alan Horwitz, who's a a secular psychiatrist, and he writes a lot on uh, the history of psychology, the history of psychiatry. And and in his book uh, on the history of the DSM, it's it's super intriguing. One of his critiques, which I think he's absolutely right, is he talks about these labels as snapshots, okay? And, And as he describes this idea of snapshots and these labels that are provided in the DSM, what he says is most of the time people are looking at, you know, some problem that they have and they're acknowledging, man, I feel really strongly about this. My my body seems to, you know, I can't help this urge or this that's happening to me. And the language of the, the body keeping the score neurologically that these patterns are, are being built in my head. And he's saying that the idea is that people are taking snapshots with a label. What, what we forget, like we do in medicine, is there's a, a course to a quote unquote illness. There's a course to a problem as we think about it in counseling. And what's happening is that snapshot is truncating our view of how we got here. We're forgetting. And the, the, the Bible with biblical anthropology helps us to understand how we got to a place like that. We're not saying the body's not involved. We're just saying that's not all that's there. We're, right. we're saying that we're wrestling in our interpretation of what's happening and what we choose in that moment, what we desire, what we want, what we're passionate about, what we pursue in that moment. And over time, it begins to build a connection in the body where, yeah, we could use a modern term addiction or whatever. We, we, uh, the body becomes trained in that way. And, and I would describe it in some ways as, as bondage. We're presenting our members once again, as Paul would say, and we find ourselves stuck in those sorts of realms and, and we don't know how to deal with it. We're not saying the body's not involved, but we're, we're, we, we have to say that the body's not all there is to this story. There's a course of how this happened, how it unfolded. And we have to take both into consideration or else we won't, as you mentioned, mortify this within us and we'll just be managing this sin in an outward expression for the rest of our days. That's not hopeful nor helpful in in the terms of restoration and change and redemption that, that the Scripture provides here. Well, you mentioned that principle, and you're so very right on with this because if we believe that there were certain sins, whether they're sins of both mind and body or not, and as though some of those categories of sins are unable to be vanquished, then Paul's words to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 makes no sense because he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely or entirely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you, verse 24, is faithful, and he surely 
will do it. So if our life, body and soul, is not going to be sanctified completely or entirely, and when he mentions there your spirit, your soul, your body, he's not talking about, you know, three different separations of the immaterial makeup of man. He's simply piling on words to talk about the totality of the believer. You're going to be totally sanctified. The process of it is ongoing. The fact of it is not in doubt. So if, in fact, it's not in doubt, both in the process and in the end outcome, then if someone says, I've got a besetting sin, I can't deal with it. I've tried. I've done everything. I've done everything my counselor told me to do. I've done everything my preacher has told me to do, but I can't vanquish it. Vanquish it. I suppose it's probably then something, it'll be what people often say, well, it'll be my cross to bear. Or I think you mentioned when we were talking uh, offline, uh, what's that other phrase that you mentioned? A thorn in the flesh. Yeah. And I think that's a problem because, first of all, it's two different contexts. Secondly, Paul actually, in the outcome of the Lord, as Paul prayed three times to remove it, and the Lord said, no, my power is perfected in your weakness. And then Paul actually rejoices by saying, okay, if the Lord has made it clear he's not going to deliver me of it, and by the way, it could have been a physical malady of some sort. Uh, could have been an eyesight issue with Paul, a lot of interpretations on it. But what Paul is saying is, no matter what happens now, if the Lord is saying, you're going to have this the rest of your life, this challenge, this trial, then he says, I'm actually rejoicing that the trial itself is producing a vanquishing of my pride. So even if someone, let's say Dale has a, a, a car wreck, they are drinking, they have a car wreck, the, the wreck results in the loss of a limb, his uh, left arm, let's say. Well, the person is going to have to deal with the loss of, of his left arm for the rest of his life. But it doesn't mean that he can't serve the Savior. It doesn't mean that he can't be more and fully sanctified. And in fact, if the Lord's providence brought such a thing, it's actually one of the tools of God to bring him to the place of vanquishing his pride and allowing him to serve the Lord without a part of his body, physically speaking. And this is so important, and I, I really want our listeners to hear what we're saying. A lot of people will compartmentalize these problems, and they'll say, okay, yes, the spiritual things that you're talking about, yes, Dale, we agree with you, Lance, we, we love that, and the Bible is sufficient for those things. And then they'll say, but, but there are bodily problems, and this is the snapshot issue that I talked about. And we say, well, there, there are other ways to deal with those types of things. And I think that's, that's bifurcating the human being the way that the Bible doesn't. For example, you, you use those two Illustrations use it besetting sin versus what Paul talks about in Second Corinthians twelve nine, you know the thorn in the flesh, which he describes as weakness. And, and guys, as you hear this, th- this is the dynamic of the Bible. In you know, you don't have a one size fits all counseling. We're trying to discern what's going on. Is it a weakness in a person that they're having to wrestle with? Because that can end in the glory of Christ. And notice, Christ is not glorified when we manage our sin, <laughs> when we harbor our sin. There's two different responses here. So when it's a weakness, Paul says we can embrace that weakness for the glory of Christ because it demonstrates the sufficient grace of the Lord. This is a huge distinction. And our counseling will be different in that situation versus 
what you're describing here is a besetting sin, which the Bible tells us, Paul says, to mortify this. He, he says this in Romans. He repeats it again in Colossians chapter 3, as we mentioned. I'm just going to read this, Lance, and I want you to get into talking about mortification of sin here. Colossians 3, 5, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. If we were to go on, he describes what some of those look like, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. He tells us to put all these things away. It's interesting to me how different philosophies or approaches to counseling would distinguish all of those things that I described as being spiritual only. And I'm like, I've been angry before, Lance, and it was a full body experience. Okay. I mean, um, and so when I'm, what I'm saying is like, it's not like my body goes um, limp in moments like that. We are intended as human beings that, that you know, all of our being, inner man, outer man, is working together in that process and it's expressed in an outer way. And the Lord is still telling us to put this to death. And, and later he tells us, as the word of Christ dwells in us richly, that we can be at peace. We can, we can, the, the peace of Christ can rule in us. So I want us to talk here about uh, how we mortify. How does this happen? What are some of the key scriptural passages and how do we emphasize these passages to help? folks mortify these besetting sins. Well, you you've you've set it up with the the perfect truth that the Bible attests to and that is there is both a mind and body problem because we're encased in uh, an environment, a sinful world, a sin-cursed world. Our minds are affected. Theologians call it the noetic effects of sin. It is true that our bodies are breaking down. Our bodies have impulses, they have drives, determinations, and those things are never divorced from the mind. And yet, at the same time, the Apostle Paul talks about, in Romans chapter 6, our members. And he's, of course, talking about both our mind and our physical body. And yet, he tells us that we cannot be slaves to our members. We have to say to ourselves that. If we're Christ's, and if we're slaves of Christ, servants of Christ, he says in Romans chapter 6, verse 15, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, that is, sin's bondage, you have become slaves of righteousness. So that that slavery is true, that bondage is true of someone who doesn't know Christ. They are, in a sense, beholding only to their drives and determinations and desires. But when we're set free by the gospel of Jesus Christ, that slavery, that bondage to sin is broken. Is it eliminated? By no means. But it is broken as to its mastery. And because of that, we are on now a different path and we have a different master. We're obedient to the new master that we have, who is the Lord Jesus. And his death and his resurrection is the guarantee that our lives will become different in both mind and body. 
That's exactly what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, where, where he describes uh, as Christ died for all. Uh, he's died so that that we now no longer have to live for ourselves. He has freed us to no longer live in the bondage of, of having to follow those passions and desires, that we can obey our Lord. We can obey Christ. But that gets us to the question about at some point in our lives, we have wrestled or are wrestling or maybe will wrestle with this idea. And First John tells us to to test these things, to, to know about our, our assurance. These things, he says, I've written to you so that you may know that you have eternal life. And this type of discussion brings up a question for so many professing Christians that have consistent ongoing battles with sin, which they just seem like they struggle to resist or they struggle to, to see change happening. So talk to professing believers about this particular issue and how they may question their, their assurance of salvation and how to work through that. Well, it certainly is true to say that multitudes of Christians often fight the matter of, am I in a continuing relationship to Jesus Christ? When I look at my life, when I look at my sin in the mirror, the mirror of God's Word, I get discouraged, I get defeated, I'm disconsolate, and often they'll say, well, then that may mean I'm, I'm really not a Christian. Um, maybe I sort of misunderstood the gospel. Maybe I, I'm not, in, in fact, in actuality, delivered from my sin. So my assurance seems to be so elusive. But remember gospel facts. Gospel facts tell us that Jesus died and that he died for sinners like us. And that if we would but put our faith, our confidence, our trust, the whole of our lives in his hands by acknowledging our sin and seeking Christ's forgiveness of our sins, and to then say, I want to live for you the rest of my life, and however faltering I may do that, I'm still saying that my assurance is not based on my feelings, it's not based upon some kind of quantitative analysis of how much sin I'm battling and vanquishing on any one day. Some days I do, some days I don't. I'm in a topsy-turvy world. It's not based on those things. It's based on the cross. There's an objectivity to it. If I become so subjective in my elusive claim to be assured of my salvation, I will surely have those days where I say, well, okay, forget it. I'm not in Christ. But you're in Christ because God initiates the opening of your eyes and you repent of your sins. You place your faith in Christ solely. It's not your work. And as you begin to work as a Christian, having been saved, you will continue the work of salvation by mortifying sin. However, you will grapple with it, and at times it seems to be getting the better of you than you getting the better of it. But don't believe that in those moments when sin seems to be uppermost, that it takes you back to the question, well, of course, it probably means I'm not a Christian. Those are satanic onslaughts. Those are the things that, that you have to grapple. That's why Ephesians 6 says what it says about the armor of the Christian. That's why Paul, when he talks about in Philippians 4, think on these things, and he gives an incredible list of the things. Are they true? Are they beautiful? Are they excellent? So you and I 
we don't measure whether or not we have the assurance of our salvation by looking inward or looking outward to certain signs and seasons. I look at the promises of God and what they say, and then I look at what Romans chapter 13 says at the very last verse of the chapter, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That's what you and I are doing in the here and now. Now, and this is so helpful, and you've done some of this already, Lance, and maybe we'll make this the last one. We've been going a little longer today, but this is such an important topic. You've been a pastor for a long time. You serve people both in, in the pulpit and in, in personal ministry. As a shepherd, how do you tenderly maybe encourage, exhort, admonish these counselees who seem bewildered? They seem beset, as this word you described, uh, with sins that they've been battling for for long lengths of time. How, how do you approach them? How do you encourage them? How do you exhort them? How do you admonish them? In one sense, I think you need to do it one sinful matter at a time, whether it's, you know, called besetting sin or some kind of habit, you know, that's been formed. You just deal with those one by one by one. But on a more generic or general level, I have often been so very helped, Dale, by 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, which gives three things in rapid-fire succession as commands. I call them RPG. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. The P, RPG, is pray about everything. And G is give thanks in all circumstances. And those staccato-like commands that are given in short snappy verses like that in 1 Thessalonians 5 are ways that you and I can grapple with besetting or sins that are dogging me and in the regularity of my Christian life. When things come up that I don't understand, when someone injures me, hurts me, I need to take every thought captive, to use Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 10, 3-5, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And I do that by not just some ditty of RPG, but it's a it's a kind of mnemonic device that says, I want to take an R, rejoice attitude. I want to pray about everything. And then I want to use all that's that's coming at me as a way to give God thanks in every circumstances, even when those circumstances are quite onerous in the moment. Thank you, brother. This has been so helpful as we think through these things that are very real to us. As we wrestle truly in our soul, they're not far away from physical expressions. So we have to keep clear in our biblical thinking on this subject. And and I'm really grateful that you've helped us do that today. Thank you, Dale. You're listening to Truth and Love, a podcast of ACBC. In light of some of the things that Lance and I spoke about today, this issue of besetting sins, I think it's appropriate that I introduce you or reintroduce many of you to our foundations curriculum. That's our high school curriculum where we take our fundamentals of biblical counseling and we teach those specifically to young people. It's our high school curriculum for those who are in private Christian school settings, those who are doing 
homeschool settings. And we have taken the time this past year to reshoot all the videos, rework some of the curriculum. And what we've done is we've tried to deal with some of the specific sins that are facing our young people today. We're trying to give them biblical wisdom so that they can see a distinction between the way the social sciences and the secular world think about some of these topics that so many young people are facing today. You know, one of the things that I talk to my young guys about, I have teenage boys in the house right now. One of the things that I talk to them about is, listen, patterns that you get in into your life right now, if you learn in any of your experiences to look to God's Word, to understand those experiences, it's going to set the trajectory for the rest of your life. That's so important to me with my own children. And I think it's so important as we've been called to disciple our children. And what we've tried to do with this foundations curriculum is to help our young people address in a biblical way some of the things that they are facing in this world in which we live. The Bible speaks of these things. The Bible gives wisdom on how to help them think biblically about these particular issues. We use case studies. We use particular books that address topics very relevant to them at their age. And so I want to encourage you through some of these teaching videos they are phenomenal. And so I want to encourage you, look up our foundations curriculum. If you have a high school student, you have a student who's going to a private Christian school, we would love to work with that school and get them access to our foundations curriculum. And you can find out more information on our website about this curriculum, foundations at biblicalcounseling.com. 